Welcome to the new edition of the Baltic Triangle podcast, brought to you by me, Mick Ord, and me, Mark Reeson. Today I'll be hearing from a Merseyside woman who's reviving Liverpool Soup, a micro-funding initiative that started in Detroit and spread to the UK. They've got grants to give away to small companies and organisations based in the area. We'd like to make it really beneficial, not just for the winner, but for those pitching and those applying um, to pitch at Soup. And we'd like to build up a network so that we can support them, be that a bit more experience on public speaking or grant applications or marketing. So we'd like to build up a community that can help kind of give ideas and give a little bit more support, regardless of whether they win or not. And I've been meeting the Italian Scouser, who photographed most of the biggest names in music from the 70s through to today, with some amazing tales to tell. I started photographing various bands and then I made myself a bit of a name by having my work published in the NME, Melody Maker, Sounds. So if you gravitated towards anything culturally, you would be ending up in Eric's because that was almost like the unspoken words. You, you, know, you went there because you knew something special was happening there. Since the big financial crash of 2007-8, many businesses have been looking to alternatives to the banks to fund expansion. Some crowdfunders like Kickstarter are well-known and well-established, but many others have been creeping under the radar, perhaps only known to a few wise souls. Liverpool Soup is a microfunder that started in 2015, lasted for a few years and then more or less disappeared. But now it's back thanks to the energy and vision of Louisa Berman, a Southport woman who's now based in Liverpool. So if you know someone who could benefit from a small grant to get their project or business off the ground, then pin your ears back and listen to what Louisa has to say. Well, Soup was a concept that was first born out of Detroit back in um, 2010, and it's been running ever since there. It's really, really taken off. They've got several different types of soup that they run. Um, over the past nine years, they've raised as much as... Uh, $150,000 for all the different projects that they've been supporting um, and that's kind of what encouraged me to look into the concept um, and whether that would work here in Liverpool. There has been a Liverpool soup before hasn't there? Yeah there was. Um, Liverpool soup um, originally ran from about 2015 to 2017 so when I was looking into starting up a Liverpool soup I uh, reached out to the founder then Patrick Hurley and um, he's been a really great um, help in getting this next reincarnation off the ground. Um, so we've got a good group of followers on Twitter who are really engaged. Um, we've been able to learn some lessons from the previous soups that have been run and we're really looking forward to the next event that we've got in June. So what kind of businesses or enterprises do you help? I think um, primarily it's grassroots organisations. That's where we're kind of uh, targeting um, any sort of inspiring ideas or projects. I think with the, the nature of Soup and the, the concept of microfunding, we're, um, we're asking people to pitch for probably around 500 to maybe 800 pounds initially. So they probably don't have much experience of applying for um, for funding on a more kind of formalised um, avenue but really kind of great ideas that the community can get behind and really want to listen and, uh, and contribute to. So will they be business ideas or will they be artistic or will they be social work kind of ideas in the community? What kind of thing are you looking for? I think it, it really depends um, 
it depends what ideas connect with community. We have two kind of principles that we work by. One is that it has to directly impact an L postcode, so the Liverpool local area. And the second is that, that when they're presenting, they're presenting without presentation, naturally just a microphone for four minutes. In terms of the environment, they're pitching to a room, um, a room of people who are really local and they're going to have a chat about the idea and they're going to vote. So I think the, the sort of ideas that are going to most thrive in that envi environment are the ones that are socially impacting, the ones that are kind of helping to target a particular area, be that kind of around the environment or around youth or uh, mental health or addiction. Those types of topics I think will, will particularly suit that, that type of environment. And you're not only looking for people to pitch ideas for, you're also looking for sponsors, aren't you? And for business people who can actually back your organisation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it works really, really well when we can properly harness the the benefits of that community thinking. And if we have like-minded organisations in Liverpool that want to help support that, then they can contribute in a number of ways. Maybe they can offer venue spaces or they can help out with their expertise if they have got specialities in catering or marketing, those types of things. But um, also any contributions can help go towards the microfund so that the winner, um, the pitch that has ultimately got the most number of votes on the night can walk away with a little bit more cash to help them succeed a little bit quicker. So when you were asking for sponsors before, um the money used goes towards funding the pitch? Yeah, well, there's a couple of ways that people can sponsor. So we have our um, the microfund, which is what the winner walks away with. So initially, when, when someone comes to an event, they make a donation on the door and that covers for, um, it covers the soup and the bread and then they get a vote as a result of that. So they listen to four pitches, they chat about them, they vote on their favourite one. And all the money that comes from those takings on the door goes into the microfund. So immediately that's our starting pot for the winner. On top of that, we'd like to just bulk that up a little bit. Um, so someone, uh, so a company might want to donate, say, £200. And that just helps the fund get a little bit bigger to make a bigger impact on that winning pitch. And it, it, it's probably a, a cynical question, but aren't, aren't you worried about someone coming along and saying, yeah, I could do with 700 quid, Louisa, and then you give them the money and then they just kind of disappear and you don't hear from them again? Um, I think that that's a possibility. Um, by the nature of grassroots organisations, um, they're probably not going to have audited accounts. They're not going to have a defined kind of decision-making model. And legally they're not obliged to spend the money how they've they said they're going to spend the money but i think that this is where the community part really kind of helps play in because it takes a lot of courage to stand up on the stage and pitch your idea and the ideas that do the best are the ones that are most authentic so the people who are watching the pitch want to vote for the most trustworthy and the most authentic and the most kind of um, community-centric ideas and then the second part is kind of us as the soup concept holding people to account a little bit so we ask that anyone that's won comes back and they present their ideas back again they, they explain how what they've done with the money and um, give us kind of an, a feel for just how much of an impact that made on them for furthering the, the project um, and we also ask for just ongoing updates so any kind of photographs or status updates that we can share with with the community with the people that voted for them to win that microfund in the first place. It really is a grassroots initiative from the bottom up, isn't it? Because a lot of people who maybe think they've got a really good idea for, for that initiative might be a bit shy, might be lacking in confidence. And you're, it seems to me like the criteria that you're specifying, it's, it's designed to open the door to those kind of people. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it will benefit most people that are really at the beginning stages of great, inspiring ideas. I think another thing, just um, going back to the sponsorship point, is we'd like to make it really beneficial, not just for the winner, but for those pitching and those applying um, to pitch at Soup. And we'd like to build up a network so that we can support them, be that a bit more experience on public speaking or grant applications or marketing. So we'd like to build up a community that can help kind of give ideas and give a little bit more support, regardless of whether they win or not. And what's in it for the would-be sponsors? Because obviously it's an altruistic motive ultimately, Mm -hmm. but what else can you offer them? What's in it for them? I think it's a great idea for them to be on the ground and see what's coming up from the grassroots upwards to see what's doing well, what's thriving and what the community are engaged with. So it helps them with an understanding of of what's going on in Liverpool um, and Ultimately, it kind of gives them a bit more exposure. You know, we'll talk about them at the events and, you know, they'll get included within our kind of decision-making process. And can you tell us a little bit about the the Detroit model that you mentioned before? Because this is an idea that was born in the States, wasn't it? And has really thrived over there, hasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think Detroit back in 2010 was a bit of a, um, a struggling city. It was originally industry-led and, and it it started to, to dwindle a little bit and, and jobs were low and it was it was a really good way for the community to come together, um, almost in a team building sense. So not only are you saying, this is a great idea, I want to support it, but you're also talking about other great ideas, you're encouraging each other and you're giving support that's more than just money. It's the, the backing of the community and, um, and the sharing of resources and time. And... Are there lots of other soups in the UK and, and Europe and that, or is it basically just Detroit and, and Liverpool? <laughs> there are there are quite a few soups. Um, it's difficult to keep track of them all. I think by their nature, some pop up and, and some dwindle, and it does depend a lot on, on sponsorship and, and volunteers. Um, the actual highest density of soups across the world is in the UK. Um, and I've spoken to um, the lady Elaine who runs the Aberdeen soup, and I know that there's a cluster of soups um, in and around London. Um, we've got one over in Manchester and one in Mosley as well that are holding quite regular events. They all have their own twist on them. They're not kind of like a carbon copy formula, but it is really interesting seeing the types of projects that, that do well and that win at those events. And what do you hope will be the defining characteristic of the Liverpool soup? Um, I think it'll be great to, to bring people together. It's that, it's that community, community, community aspect. So people are not only listening to great ideas, but they are um, talking about great ideas and they're inspiring each other to, to be supportive and go in the right direction. Are there any age barriers at all? Might it be for a, a kid that's just left school or university or you know, going up to someone that's in the 60s? Yeah, absolutely no barriers. Any any age is absolutely welcome. Any age, any idea. And um, I, it's, I think what will help it really work is to have a, a true breadth and a true diversity of pitches. So who are you looking for then? Just go through that again. Ideally, you want sponsors to come forward and throw money into the pot. Well, I think first and foremost, we want people to attend and people to engage with the idea. So um, if... If anyone likes the concept and they want to get involved, our first event is June the 18th uh, over at the Brink in town. Um, and then if, if anyone knows of any great projects that need supporting and might need a bit of extra cash to push them in our direction. 
They can find all the details on liverpoolsuit.co.uk. They can apply to pitch and, and if they do, they've got a little bit of extra extra cash if they win to kind of help push their idea forward. And then, yeah, absolutely, if anyone wants to sponsor the concept, then there's lots of opportunities to do that. Like I said, there's, there's cash sponsorships. So they can help sponsor a particular event um, or and also contribute to the, yeah, the micro fund for the winner um, and also sponsor on a, on a more resource basis just to help lower our overheads so that we can get more to the winner ultimately. And you mentioned before about volunteers. What are the nature of those posts? Anyone who wants to help, I'm sure we'll be able to find something for them to help with. At the moment, we're, um, we're, we're just kind of running everything on a bit of grit and determination. So anyone that's got any kind of skills in, in marketing or if they just kind of want to help on the night or they've got any feedback at all from any of our social media or the websites that they've seen, then I welcome everyone to kind of get in touch and, um, and we'll see how we can work together. And just to remind you, the next meeting of Liverpool Soup is at the No Alcohol Bar, The Brink, in Liverpool City Centre on June the 18th. And you can get more information on that at liverpoolsoup.co.uk. Francesco Molina is a well-known figure around the Baltic Triangle. A renowned photographer, probably best known for his work in the late 70s, where he chronicled the rise of many bands that went on to become household names, as well as documenting the various fashion movements of the era. I caught up with Francesco and had a chat with him about his interest in life. I was born in a small town in southern Italy, in the region of Calabria. And from a very young age, I was always interested in anything English, really, and whether it was American or English in itself. So long as the language was English, I was very interested in that. And I always had a fascination for, um, you know, for culture, really. I was fascinated by cinema, by film, by the moving uh, images and by the whole um, concept of it, you know, the music and, and, the, and the moving images for a young child, you know, that was fascinating. And I spent most of my days, um, as long as, as I was not in school, of course, uh, sitting in the local cinema. And tell me, Francesca, how did you end up in Liverpool then? Tell me, what was the journey that brought you to, to Liverpool from Italy? Well, as I said, um, I was fascinated by all things English. And, of course, I think I may have been 12, 13 years old and I discovered the Beatles. And from the moment that I discovered the Beatles and their music, I realised I discovered that they were from Liverpool. And then it all made complete sense to me and I knew from that moment that I would be, someday I would be in Liverpool. And that was my decision then. I know you as someone who's got a fantastic body of work, some brilliant photographic work, 70s, late 70s, early 80s music scene. Tell me a little bit about that work and, and how that came about then, Francesca. Well, it came about for the simple reason that once I came to Liverpool, once I arrived to Liverpool, I knew that I would stay here and then I uh, completely immersed myself in what uh, was the cultural scene of the day. And I wanted to be part of the music scene, but of course I can't play an instrument and I can't sing. So it occurred to me that visual was what I really liked as well. And I did a course in photography and, um, and as soon as I was proficient with using the camera, I started going out and taking photographs. And I, heard about a club called Eric's in Matthew Street and I walked in there and and that was it really, you know, I mean, I started photographing there. The very first night I arrived there, I photographed the Ramones. So 
you know, that kind of gives an indication of what that place was like. And, and yes, you know, then it developed from there. I started photographing various bands and then I made myself a bit of a name by having my work published in the NME, Melody Maker, Sounds. And subsequently, I was uh, the only photographer from Liverpool um, which um, was submitting work to the Face magazine. And of course, once I got that particular um, uh, job, so to speak, that opened more doors. So it facilitated me enormously. Um, and so that's where it all started from, and that's where eventually I ended up working for all the major publications. Liverpool at that time was very different from Liverpool now. Well, indeed it was. It was hugely different. It was very, very rough at the edges. But, you know, for a young man like myself, and indeed any other man of my age, that really didn't matter. I mean, for me personally, that was actually vibrant. It was the opposite of what most people felt. Um, I thought this gave it the age. Um, and crucially, because when, you, when you're young, you really don't care for those kind of things because you're involved in what you want to do. In terms of what I, you know, the technical aspects of doing the photographs and taking the photographs, yes, you know, as you know yourself, it's all physical. So I had to take the photographs, go home, then develop the films, then, you know, dry the film up, then cut it up, then, you know, proof it, and then do some prints. And then when I started working as a freelance photographer, I would have deadlines to meet and I would have to deliver the prints personally, go to Lime Street Station and use what we call... Um, Red Star. Red Star, correct, yes, Red Star. And, and then there would be a biker at you know, London Euston Station collecting to, so that the magazine could meet the, their deadlines. So this, this, this process was basically I worked all night. Um, you know, but that was fascinating and it was also very, very exciting. And there was such a lot of uh, excitement and, and, and uh, around that time as well with the music scene as it was happening here. I mean, just talk to me a little bit about some of the people, some of the artists, some of the bands that you worked with and some of the, some of the world famous local bands that you'd suddenly discovered you were in amongst. Well, I mean, from the moment that I got there, that I arrived at Terex, because that was really my, uh, the, the place where I photographed most, um, because obviously being, being local, it was easier. Um, you know, and as I said, the very first night I arrived there, I photographed the Ramones, and then I realized that there was something wonderful happening in there, and, and it proved so, because so many bands uh, came through because of Eric. So, Dead or Alive, Teardrop Explodes, Echo and the Bunnymen, Orchestra Manoeuvres in the Dark, but, you know, Wah, uh, and innumerable different groups. There were some more famous than others. And then there was also scriptwriters and actors that came through there, filmmakers, you know, film directors. It was quite exceptional poets. Um, so this was like a breeding ground for all the talent that was there. And, you know, this was like the, the focal point. So if you gravitated towards anything culturally, you would be ending up in Eric's. 
because that was almost like the unspoken words. You, you know, you went there because you knew something special was happening there. There's such a lot of cultural uh, background to this city, which is one of the reasons that I am, am so passionate about it. There's such a rich history of the music culture and, 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 and just the vibrancy, as you said then, was, was a great example of that. Tell, tell me a little bit about how, how that connection with you made you decide that this was the place for you then. Well, I mean, I, I, I just knew that this was the place for me. I, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I, I had to live here to, to understand more about it, but I could feel it. I just love the people, I love the city, I love the, um, the militancy of the people, you know, I love their um, <laughs> techno prisoners attitude. That, you know, to, to a Calabrian, that makes a lot of sense, you know, so it was everything about it. You know, the people, the environment, the culture, the music, the poetry, um, and also there is what I discovered uh, later, it was the Irishness of Liverpool, which of course, I, when I first arrived, I wasn't that aware of. And of course, you know, Italians and Irish, you know, they go perfect together. <laughs> so it's a special place, that's for sure. I totally agree with you. As, as a fellow adopted Liverpudlian, I totally agree with every sentiment you said there. I mean. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the book that came out of, and the exhibitions that came out of your, your body of work from that era. Well, obviously, because I was a freelance photographer for um, a strongly active for five to six years, uh, so between 77 and 83, that way I was very, very busy working, so I, call, I have a, a very large archive. And through sheer coincidences, in 2009, I ended up having a major exhibition at the uh, Conservation Centre, which is part of the National Museums of Liverpool. That ended up being the most successful photographic exhibition that they ever had there. And, and then subsequently, a few years later, um, my friend uh, Mike Marsh came up with the idea that um, we should do a book, and we did through a crowdfunding campaign by Kickstarter, and the book, we got the, you know, the money, and the book was published. And that really encapsulates, you know, the best of my work, and it, it chronicles all the, all the stars, um, some more famous than others, but also, more, more important for me, it features the people, and, and one of the things that pleases me the most is that people that look at the book is exactly that. The first reference is Francesco. That's fantastic because you, you actually capture the people. You know, not many people concentrate on that. And, and I'm really pleased because, you know, one, I, uh, one magazine reviewed and it said, you know, what, what Francesco excels at is capturing candid moments. And I always saw that my work as a kind of documentary um, because one of my inspiration was the very famous photographer called Don McCollum, who mm, most people know, but some people may not know, but he was the most distinguished war photographer possibly of all time. And um, so, you know, it, it, it was for me more about documenting um, rather than being, you know, technically brilliant. But that actually pleases me because that's what I wanted to, to achieve. There's so many amazing pictures in the, in the book reveal. 
what have you what have you got on on the cards at the moment? Then what what other stuff can we can we look forward to seeing from you with regards to exhibitions and and photographic work? Okay, well there are a couple of things. Um, there's um, a distinct possibility of doing a major exhibition again in Liverpool, and also I've been approached by um, an, an Italian gallery owner who is fully aware of my work. He's been aware of my work for the last nine years. And he has um, suggested that uh, we sh I should do an exhibition over in Italy, in northeast Italy, near Trieste. So I'm looking at that, so that's a distinct possibility. Then there is another book, I'm going to do another book. And this is very exciting because it's about Northern Seoul. And I photographed the very last night at the Weir Casino. And so that um, is what I'm going to do next. And we're going to do a, a crowdfunding campaign again. And hopefully that will be seen the lighter day, probably by the end of August this year. So we can keep a lookout for that then, Francesco? Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that will be advertised, you know, so anybody, you know, most people, everybody will know. And so there will be, people can pledge uh, towards, you know, the, the funding of that particular book. Were you one of the last people to actually attend that, that, that well, classic venue? Well, on that particular night, I was doing it for the enemy, New Musical Express. And they commissioned me to go and do it. So I was lucky because normally when they commission you, you can do more photographs because you know you're going to get paid back for the expenses. So I shot well over 100 images. So that would be... But being the very last night of the way in Casino, these photographs have now become an historical docu documentation of that particular night. And uh, I also have on board Ross Winstanley, who is the godfather of Northern Seoul, and uh, he's gonna do the introduction, write the introduction for the book. And so I'm very um, hopeful that, you know, we, we can achieve the target to bring this book to light because I, I genuinely believe that it's important to, to see in, the, in a book format. It's a unique body of work, and I definitely encourage anybody to keep an eye out for that. What is it about the Baltic uh, that, that you think is such a, a, a vibrant place? Because you and I often sit and have coffee here, don't we? Well, um, it's simple, really. I always gravitated to where culture is. So, you know, when it was Eric's, I would be Matthew Street. If it was somewhere else, I would be there. So, and now the Baltic is where everything seems to be happening. There is an, a tremendous amount of work going on and there's an, an incredible amount of people there working as creatives. And of course, it, it makes complete sense to me to be in and around that, these people, but also, crucially, the area is, is a thriving area and it offers all the things that I like. It's a massive change from the Liverpool that you first introduced to in the 1980s. Well, from when I first arrived, I mean, the, the, the change is incredible. Um, and now it's, it's a thriving business area as, as well as having restaurants, clubs. I mean, it's wonderful. And I think that uh, the development of Liverpool One has been astonishing. Uh, it has opened the city up, literally, which it makes it very easy to, to uh, access. And, and it makes them much more pleasant. Um, the future, for me, the way that I see it is, it, it can only get better. You know, there are plans for various things, uh, regeneration again of this particular area, regeneration of other areas. You only have to look around. There's buildings going up everywhere. Um, 
So from that point of view, yes, that, that's, um, I'm excited. However, there are some um, things that I would like to see which are not there yet. What would they be? Uh, a dedicated a rock photography gallery in Liverpool um, to showcase not just myself, of course, but anybody really that works um, within that field. I think it would be wonderful to have such an amazing place where you know, it's dedicated to that style of photography. You know, in London they have proud galleries, there is a rock archive, which is run by Jill Fomanowski, a very famous photographer. And it's been a long-standing idea of mine to have such a gallery here because I think this again will be a first for you know anywhere in the north, and it would be wonderful to be Liverpool to be the first one in the north. So that would be one of my wishes, and I would love that to happen. I totally agree, and you and I have talked about this many times in the past, and uh, it's something that we're both very passionate about doing. And Francesco, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. For anybody who wants to keep an eye out for, for, for any announcements that are going to be made about the book and maybe future exhibitions, where's the best way for them to contact you? Well, um, the best place is my um, official Facebook page, which is Francesco Melina Photography, and they can access through there. They can follow me on Instagram, it's exactly the same, on Instagram, Francesco Molina, at Francesco Molina Photography. And um, all, uh, the, all, all the news will be on those particular platforms. Francesco, thank you very much. Mille grazie. Thank you. Mille grazie. Francesco Molina there. Keep an eye out for Francesco's new book, which should be out towards the back end of this year. Another brilliant collection of photographs from his unique archive. He's a real character, isn't he, Francesco? I remember him from the 70s, and I didn't know him then, and I only kind of vaguely know him now, to be honest. But you, you, couldn't, you couldn't mistake him. He was at every single gig you went to, whether it was at Eric's or the Empire, anywhere, there he was. Jet black hair, slightly, slightly lighter now. Jet black hair, obviously very, very Italian looking. Usually had a leather jacket on. And he was just one of these figures, you thought. He seems to know everyone, who is he? Well, it's incredible when, when you think about the kind of bands that he was involved in. I mean, you, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen, Mighty Wah, um, Wah Heat as they were, you know, and Teardrop Explodes. There's so many bands, and to be around in that era makes me just green with envy. Yeah, well, he managed Dead or Alive as well, didn't he? I mean, like, he's been, on, he's been involved in the music industry on, on, on lots of different sides, hasn't he? Absolutely. He, he's, he's been pivotal for a lot of the things that, have, that we regard now as, as, as key to, to the way this city was in that period of time with music. Well, if anyone else has got any stories about whether it's from 40 years ago or the current day, always happy to hear from you. If you want to email us with your ideas, it's mick at mickord.com. All right then. So uh, until next time, see you soon.